You're tuned in to WHPK Radio, 88.5 FM on the dial, here in Chicago. Many medicines used to treat colds and flu contain acetaminophen, a pain reliever and fever reducer found in hundreds of over-the-counter and prescription medicines. But taking too much or more than one medication containing acetaminophen per day can damage your liver. So always read the label and don't take acetaminophen if you drink three or more alcoholic drinks every day. To learn more, visit fda.gov slash OTC pain info. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Food and Drug Administration. Everyone has a community, a neighborhood, school, place of worship, or other chosen groups. Communities can provide support when you need it, including helping your kids avoid underage drinking and other substance use. This place is a disaster area, Wonder. What the hell happened in here? I don't know. I was in the genie lounge about to head to the control room to introduce the old-time radio segment when I heard an explosion. It knocked my lamp over with me in it, and I was lucky I was inside my lamp at that moment. Otherwise, I'd have been reduced to my basic atoms. Do you need to see Dr. Bombay? I don't want to see him. Remember, we used to date and the bastard cheated on me with a succubus. Wanda, I don't know how to break this to you, but Dr. Bombay was cheating on you with an incubus. Everybody knew but you. Why didn't you guys tell me? I went after that succubus thinking it was her, while all the time it was some incubus. You should have let me know. Nobody wanted to bring you any bad news after what you did to the last messenger. Yeah, I can understand that. I guess word gets around. Let's get this show on the road. What do you need me to do? Use your magic to manifest the rest of the studio. My magic can't do the whole thing. That explosion did something to my powers. Just drop a couple of coins in the soda machine and open the can. Then pour it over some ice. Abu uses some strange magic. Why does he put spells inside soda cans? Just 
Beside me, I go 
When all of your flaws and all of my flaws are laid out one by one A wonderful part of the mess that we made, we pick ourselves undone All of your flaws and all of my flaws, they lie there hand in hand Ones we've inherited, ones that we learned, they pass from man to man There's a hole in my soul I can't feel it, I can't feel it And there's a hole in my soul Can you feel it, can you feel it? You have always worn your flaws upon your sleeve And I have always buried them deep beneath the ground Dig them It's like I know 
stand there all alone Oh, I cannot explain what's going down I can see you standing next to me In and out, somewhere else right now You sigh, look away I can see it clear as day Close your eyes, so afraid Hide behind that baby
Not worth the blood we shared for love So give it up, stop
everybody's disapproval I should have worshipped her sooner If the heavens ever did speak She's the last true mouthpiece Every Sunday's getting more bleak Fresh poison each week We were born sick You heard them say it My church offers no absolutes She tells me worship in the bedroom The only heaven I'll be sent to I'm alone with you I was born sick But I love it Command me to be well Amen 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 Take me to church I worship like a dog At the shrine of your life I'll tell you my sins And you can sharpen your Yeah.
I took the path that you would never want for me. I know I let you down tonight. So many sleepless nights where you were waiting up on me. Well, I'm just a slave unto the night. Now remember when I told you that's the last you'll see of me. Remember when I broke you down to tears. I know I took the path that you would never want for me. I gave you hell through all the years. So I. dreams would I come running home to you I've told a million lies but now I tell a single truth there's you in everything I do now remember when I told you that's the last you'll see of me remember when I broke you down to tears I know I took the path that you would never want for me I gave you hell through all the
joking? I don't believe a thing I've said. What are you smoking? I'm just a fucking with your head.
Wanda, it's the top of the hour already. Time for station ID. Oh, yes? right. You're a party pooper, aren't you? It's the holiday season, and everybody is enjoying themselves, but not me. I'm stuck here in the studio with a great geniality too bad. The Keeper of Chaos. That's why I summoned you here in the first place. Come on now. The FCC doesn't allow any dead air. Move your sexy magic arse. Party pooper. Put the down and press to digitate your butt to the microphone. Come on now. Party pooper. Oh, what the hell, I'll do it. You're listening to Ira Harmon's Pop Machine on WHPK Radio 88.5 FM. Here in the magical kingdom of Chicago. So, tell me, Ellie, too bad. How well versed are you in the practice of sex magic? I'm thinking you might be able to put everything right with a vigorous shagging session on the ecliptic of manifestation. Sex magic? Tantric sex with you? I would love to poke you in the whiskers, Wanda. We still have an hour of show to do first. Then we can get busy. Party pooper, aren't you? We asked seniors how to prevent Medicare scams. My best advice, if you get a phone call, do not talk to the person. These people are well-trained. Don't talk to them. They don't know me. They're just trying to scam me. Don't be fooled. Hang up. Just hang up. Never give out your Medicare number. They're going to get your number to put in a false claim. If I get a call from someone, I don't pick up the phone. And should I pick up the phone and ask for information, then I hang up. How do you detect Medicare fraud? Just like I check my credit card statements, I check my Medicare statements monthly. Scammers can get a hold of your number, order medical devices through your account, and you're not even going to know about it if you don't look at your statement. Check your statement every month. If you get your statement and you see something that you know you did not have done, you report it. Call your senior Medicare patrol. To report Medicare fraud, call the Senior Medicare Patrol at 800-699-9043. Life is like a roller coaster. It has its high and low moments, zooming through our lives. Sometimes we feel excited and full of joy, and other times we feel numb to the world around us. Low moments are a part of life. They help us cherish the good times. That's why it's important to reach out when life's lows stop us in our tracks. Connect with someone now. Call 211 or call text 988. This is a segment we like to call the Torpedo of Truth. This is where we cut through the bull and enlighten the benighted among you to what the real deal is. Remember, being benighted is not an honor nor a good thing. It simply means you don't know anything. Wonder, you can't insult the audience like that. Oh, Ali, I didn't insult anybody. Those benighted morons out there within earshot don't have any fourth-tier words in their vocabulary. That's why they're the benighted ones. They run from a dictionary like it's on fire. Lotus eaters, they are. The whole lot of them. Did you know, Ali, that 40% of college graduates never pick up another book after they graduate? They let their schooling interfere with their education. They live the rest of their brick-in-the-wall existence with a patina of stale knowledge and asshole assumptions. Wow. 
So tell us how you really feel. If I were you, I would keep away from whatever you've been smoking in that hooker of yours. Israel does not want a Palestinian state, never has, won't tolerate it. They've talked about it, but they knew they were never going to allow it to happen. And one of the ways they prevented it from happening was to create a division within Palestinian population. So they promoted Hamas, they funneled money into Hamas, they openly collaborated with Hamas, even though I don't think Hamas understood they were being collaborated with, uh, to, and they empowered Hamas. The United States is looking at a bigger picture, and the bigger picture it requires stability in the Middle East. In order to do that, we need Saudi Arabia on our side. We need Iran to be pacified. We need the Arab world to be doing what we want it to do. That is our big picture. And we're not going to let Israel get in the way. It has eliminated the one major obstacle to peace in the Middle East, and that is Israeli intransigence about uh, a Palestinian state. That's gone. There will be a Palestinian state Israel has no choice but to accept this. It will be dictated to them by the United States, by the international community, because the international community is turning on Israel as we speak. As I said, you can only drop so many bombs on a helpless civilian population before people call you out for being the war criminals that you are. So I I think going forward, we're going to be seeing a different Israel, and this is the game changer. When Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, the U.S. government quickly responded that we stand with Israel and will do anything to support our ally. But that Fast forward a couple weeks and the future of the Israel-Palestine relationship looks very different. It started with President Obama warning some of Israel's actions in Gaza may backfire. The former president went on to state, the Israeli government's decision to cut off food, water, and electricity to a captive civilian population threatens not only to worsen a growing humanitarian crisis, it could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations, erode global support for Israel, play into the hands of Israel's enemies and undermine long-term efforts to achieve peace and stability in the region. President Biden followed with a bold statement of his own and told the world, when this crisis is over, there has to be a vision of what comes next. And in our view, it has to be a two-state solution. Now, to help us truly understand the next phase of this conflict and what the future of Israel and Palestine really looks like, I'm welcoming in former UN weapons security inspector, Scott Ritter into today's show. In our interview, we discussed the complex history of Israel and Palestine, the rise of Hamas, and why the October 7th attacks just might be the catalyst to finally establishing peace in the region. If you truly want to have a better insight into the Israel-Palestine conflict, this is the interview you need to watch. Let's begin. Everyone, I'm very honored to welcome back into the studio, Scott Ritter. Scott, we had a fantastic chat the first time, obviously talking about Russia and Ukraine, but things have shifted now, and this is a much bigger conflict given the global implications, and I think also the U.S. involvement. Obviously, Israel is a very strategic ally of the United States. Scott, I wanted to bring you in again to give everybody your insights and your detailed knowledge of Israel and Palestine, this conflict that has lasted for many, many decades. And I really want to get your assessment on the situation because I think at one point in your career, you were a very big supporter of Israel, but I think that's obviously certainly shifted now recently. So just please open up and let everybody know your initial thoughts on you know, this conflict and where we are today? Well, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge that this is a conflict that didn't just begin on October 7th, although that's the day that uh, you know, Hamas breached this wall that Israel had built surrounding Gaza. And I think we need to just reflect on this for a while. Gaza is an open-air concentration camp. Now, some Israelis might take umbrage of that. I don't care. It's time to just call things as they are. It's an open-air concentration camp where 2 point something million Palestinians 
who are being denied any possibility of a normal life by the Israeli occupier or oppressor. You know, they, they have been locked in there by the Israeli government. Uh, they're denied the ability to have an airport. They're denied the ability to have a port. Entrance and exiting there is tightly controlled by foreigners. They, the, the Palestinians don't have a right to dictate the terms of their own life. And, and life inside Gaza is extraordinarily unpleasant. It's poverty stricken. There's no no real hope for bettering uh, one's existence. And so this has been going on for some time now. I mean, Gaza became an open air prison almost immediately after Israel became a nation in 1948. If you study the you know, the events of, of that time, the Israelis had a, a, a policy of depopulating the Palestinian lands, territories that were populated by Palestinian people, either killing them, and they killed thousands of them, or driving them out. And 700 plus thousand were ethnically cleansed in this manner, many of which were of them were sent to Gaza, right. the first installation as an open-air prison. And since that time, you know, there's been ebbing and flowing in terms of Israel and Gaza, etc. But recently, it's it has become a, a sticky point because Hamas, this organization, it labels itself a resistance organization, Israel, the United States, Europe, and others labeled a terrorist organization. We just need to reflect that Samuel Adams and the Sons of Liberty were called terrorists by the British uh, back before the, you know, in the time of the American Revolution. Menachem Begin uh, was a member of the Ergun organization that blew up the King David Hotel in, uh, you know, killing hundreds of British, not just soldiers, but women, children. It was a terrorist organization, but the Israelis labeled them as freedom fighters. So it depends on your perspective. I would imagine that for the vast majority of the people living inside Gaza and many of the Arabs around the world, they don't view Hamas as a terrorist organization. We know that uh, Recep Erdogan, the president of Turkey, certainly doesn't. He just gave a speech where he called them freedom fighters, Mujahideen, people fighting for the cause of resistance against Israel. But, you know, basically the Palestinian people in recent times had had their aspirations for nationhood put on the back burner. Some would even say that it's been taken off the stove altogether. The Abrams Accord, which is a Trump era agreement uh, seeking to normalize relations between Israel and uh, the Arab world, was predicated on the notion that uh, Israel would you know, work toward some form of Palestinian statehood, but it's lip service only. The reality of the Abrams Accord is they just steal more land from the Palestinians. It's unacceptable, but because Israel was making good with the Arab world. Uh, they had normalized relations with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain and others. And they were on the verge of uh, normalizing relations with Saudi Arabia, which would have been a very big deal. Uh, the issue of Palestinian statehood had been pushed to the side. Now, because of what Hamas has done, uh, it is the only issue on the table today. There, There's no talk. In fact, uh, Joe Biden just gave a, pres a speech today alongside the Australian prime minister who's visiting, where he said there can be no return to the status quo ante that existed prior to October 7th, that in addition to resolving the Hamas-Israeli conflict, there must be a resolution of the Palestinian state issue. Saudi Arabia has made it clear there will be no normalization of relations with Israel until the issue of a Palestinian state has been solved. So say what you want about Hamas's actions. It has in the long term, from a strategic perspective, done more to push forward the issue of Palestinian statehood than anything else out there, at least in theory. I mean, proof is always in the pudding and we don't know what's going on. But so that's this larger geopolitical aspect of it. I think the, the geopolitics of the Middle East will be shaped by the issue of Palestinian uh, statehood and everything that crews with that. There's also the issue of military conflict. You know, Israel was humiliated on October 7th. The level of humiliation has yet to be acknowledged by 
Israel and uh, comprehended by the world. But just let me just put it this way. Israel is exposed as being a a military that's incompetent, an intelligence organization that's not as good as everybody thought. And they were outfought by Hamas in the uh, early hours of October 7th. But Scott, they they took Israel by surprise. The whole purpose of the wall and the way Israel has postured its forces around Gaza is that they will never be taken by surprise. It is a permanent surveillance system. Hamas beat it, crushed it, destroyed it, humiliated Israel. And now Israel... In this humiliation is um, is seeking revenge. And one of the problems with the revenge is that, one, Israel doesn't have the ability to, I mean, there's that famous scene in the movie Top Gun where Maverick is being chewed out by the uh, commander of the air group, CAG. And he says, son, your body's right in check, or your mouth's right in check, your body can't catch, something of that nature. Right, um, right. Well, this is happening in Israel. You have a lot of disgrace. And I need to remind everybody, every single Israeli politician and general who speaks publicly today about this issue is a disgraced individual. We wouldn't be in this situation had they done their job. These are failed politicians, failed military leaders. So when they stand before you and speak in a very aggressive manner, just remember, they got beat on October 7th. Their job was to prevent that from happening, and they didn't do that. So now when you hear them thumping their chest and saying, we're going to exact revenge, take it with a grain of salt, because these people have proven their incompetence. Israel has mobilized over 300,000 reservists. Let's be clear who these reservists are. They are not combat-hardened troops. These are troops with a very minimal level of military training, and even the training they got was never used to full effect. Then they left the military. There's been no follow on training. Now they're called back up and they're being asked to go into the most difficult kind of warfare imaginable, urban warfare. And not just in a city, but a city that's been destroyed. Anybody who knows anything about urban warfare, you can track it from Stalingrad, you know, through Monte Cassino to Bakhmut and Mariupol. When our experience in, in Mosul, when you blow up a city, you've made the job of defending the city that much easier, and you've made the job of attacking that much more difficult. And also keep in mind this, Hamas carried out a flawless, flawless attack on October 7th. It was professionally planned and executed. They didn't do that without having an endgame, meaning that what the, everything they did from destroying the Israeli military capacity to kidnapping people and bringing them back into Gaza was designed to enrage Israel so that Israel stops thinking rationally and be lure Israel into Gaza, knowing that the Israeli Air Force would bomb. Every bomb that hits Gaza is not killing Hamas. It's killing innocent Palestinians. Hamas is well below ground, not being impacted by these bombs because they thought about it beforehand. They know the weapon. They know it's you know, what its effects are on the ground, and they've brought that in. The Israeli army right now is scared to death. These reservists don't have the training. They're scared to death. If they go in, they will be slaughtered. If they go in also, it's likely they will trigger a larger regional conflict. Hezbollah in the north has said they don't want to get involved in this, but if Israel keeps slaughtering the Palestinian people, which they have over 6,500 dead, over a thousand of them are children, have been killed by the Israeli indiscriminate bombing, uh, Hezbollah said they will intervene. And let's keep in mind, Hezbollah until Hamas's victory on October 7th, Hezbollah was the only Arab force that actually beat the Israelis in a stand-up fight. So, Scott, I have a question. I mean, I think the attack from Hamas is a brutal attack uh, you know, against innocent Israelis. And, and I think what we've seen is a, a huge outcry from you know, certainly the Western world, the United States and our allies, everyone standing very clearly with Israel. I mean, would you agree with this, is that 
that the rise of Hamas, I mean, they were democratically elected in 2006. Do you think that the reason for them being elected is, is simply the fact that these Palestinians felt no other option was left for them? The fact that they just didn't have a future and so that they would resort to something of this extremism? I mean, I'm, I'm certainly under the belief that Hamas is, is, is definitely closer to a terrorist organization than a legitimate you know, freedom fighter. But, I mean, certainly carrying out those attacks. But I can also understand that probably the conditions that Israel created for Palestine is the exact breeding grounds for an organization like Hamas to be democratically elected and to you know, go carry out those attacks. So I am not going to accept the idea that Hamas on October 7th was a terrorist organization. They were carrying out a military assault and they carried out with far more precision and far less collateral damage than what Israel's doing. If you're going to call Hamas a terrorist organization, then every single Israeli pilot that flies over Gaza today and indiscriminately drops bombs that have killed 6,500 Palestinian civilians, over a thousand who were children, then they are terrorists. And if they're terrorists, everybody wears the green of the IDF is a terrorist and every Israeli politician is a terrorist. And I think it's more accurate to call Israel the terrorist entity in this case than it is to, to, to say Hamas. The history of Hamas and the formation of Hamas is, is complex. They come from a Muslim extremist foundation. The Muslim Brotherhood is, is their ideological base. Uh, unlike the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which is more secular in nature, Hamas is definitely very much fundamentalist in terms of their religious beliefs. The Israelis have been fostering Hamas from the very beginning. I mean, Hamas you know, was conceived by the Palestinians as its own thing. But it was the Israeli government that said, hey, this we can use. You right. see, Israel didn't want the Palestinian Liberation Army or PLO to become this powerful entity because the last thing Israel wants is a viable Palestinian state. I'll say that one more time, just so people understand what I'm saying. Israel does not want a Palestinian state, never has, right. won't tolerate it. They've talked about it, but they knew they were never going to allow it to happen. And one of the ways they prevented it from happening was to create a division within Palestinian population. So they promoted Hamas. They funneled money into Hamas. They openly collaborated with Hamas, even though I don't think Hamas understood they were being collaborated with, uh, to, and they empowered Hamas. All the terrorist acts that took place in the 1990s took place because Israel wanted them. Magic wonder here. The pop machine contains no high fructose in the interest of bullshit detection and truth protection. Fighting cognitive decline. One show at a time. Like peaches and cream. 
In the sky 
Maybe millions of people go by, but they all Adjustment Bureau. We're investigating the matter of James Lansing's death. Your what? We're investigating your brother's death before we take action on your claim as his beneficiary. Under the circumstances, we have to do this, Mrs. Kennedy. I'd like to talk to you about it, if I may. How would you like to talk to my lawyer, Mr. Dollar? Sure, if you think it's necessary. I'd rather talk to you first. Why? Well, frankly, the insurance company isn't satisfied that this is a legitimate claim. You mean you're not satisfied? All right, then I'm not satisfied, and I represent the company in this matter. Look, we won't get anywhere this way, Mrs. Kennedy, if you'll just... <sighs> Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Tucson, Arizona, to the Universal Adjustment Bureau Home Office, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Lansing fraud. $50,000 worth. Expense account continued. Item 6, $10, car rental, to get to Catalina Vista, where Arlene Kennedy maintained a $55,000 home. It was a warm, sunny day, incredibly clear. I enjoyed it in my drive. However, I can't say I enjoyed Arlene Kennedy. That's as far as you need to come. What? You must be the Mr. Dollar I spoke to on the phone. If you didn't get the idea on the phone, I'll tell it to you again. I don't want to talk to you. Now, please get away from my home. We'll have to talk sometime. I don't think so. I know so, Mrs. Kennedy. I must ask you to take your briefcase and get out of here, Mr. Dollar, now. I'm sorry you feel that way. Look, my brother Jim drank himself to death. I don't know why. I just know he did it. He's dead. I'm his beneficiary. Why don't you pay me what you owe me? We will, Mrs. Kennedy, if the circumstances are right. So far, though, we have reasonable doubts. Uh, and this investigation is for your benefit as much as it is ours. I can hardly believe that. When we've satisfied ourselves one way or the other, your claim will be settled. The whole situation's cut and dry. I'm afraid it isn't. Mr. Dollar, I've had enough of this. I'll turn the matter over to my attorneys. Mrs. Kennedy... I don't carry this briefcase to impress anybody, but I thought it might interest you. I have in it a copy of the physical examination your brother took two years ago when he applied for his insurance policy. I have a copy of the coroner's report and the results of the autopsy. I don't care what you have. Then maybe you'd just be interested in the conclusion. We have to discredit one item or the other. That's why we can't take any action on your claim yet. Goodbye. Wait. What is it you want to know? I haven't seen my brother in well over two years, three years. I can't tell you a thing about him. 
Were you on good terms with him? Of course I was. I was the only one he had in the world. He left me his insurance money, didn't he? Did he leave you anything else? He didn't have anything else. I understand there was a trust in the family. He spent his a long time ago. I understand you're a widow, Mrs. Kennedy. I don't see what bearing that Do you has. have any dependents? No children, that's what you mean. The money from the policy would have gone to you alone. Let me correct you. The money will come to me alone. I don't know what you people think you can do trying to weasel out of this payment, but I've already spoken with my attorneys, and they've advised me to sue for an immediate settlement and damages. Perhaps I can save you some fees and your attorney some time, Mrs. Kennedy. Where can I contact them? Never mind. You'll find out soon enough. I hope you won't allow them to go so far as a courtroom without speaking to me. We'll see about that, too. I don't need your advice. Now, look, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'd tell them. You can pass it on to them. Your brother could have died quietly in his bed one night, and any doctor would have pronounced him a heart failure, and your claim would have been honored without delay. But James Lansing made the mistake of dropping dead on a public street, and the police took over, and before he was properly identified, an autopsy had been performed. And I intend to sue the city for that kind of liberty. They had no right to... They had every right. An unknown man dead on the street from unknown causes. Now, don't be childish. Because of that autopsy, we know your brother couldn't possibly have passed an insurance examination two years ago or ten years ago. Not with the amount of bad health he'd collected. But he did pass it. The insurance company accepted him as a client. They issued a policy, and you can't deny it. Jim came to me the day after he took out that policy and told me I was his you beneficiary. You said he... You said you hadn't seen him for well over two years. He took the exam a year ago last July. All right, I saw him that one time. Look, I'll lay it right on the line, Mrs. Kennedy. We don't think your brother ever took that physical examination. What? Someone else went up to Dr. Mayhood's office and took it for him. Someone who could pass it. Mrs. Kennedy, we aren't fools and we don't like to be fooled. Now, we're going to find out who that someone was and how it was done. We're used to all sorts of tricks in this business and all sorts of bluffing, too. You can sue us for a settlement. You can sue us all over the place. With what I have right now, I'd be willing to meet you in a courtroom. I'm talking facts to you, Mrs. Kennedy, and I wish you'd talk them to me. Get out of here. Get out of here, you cheap snooper, before I call the police and have you thrown out. Some more expenses. Item seven. Six dollars. Lunch. For Jim Carter and myself. We'll pass the cream, Johnny. Thanks. Well, what do you think, Jim? Mrs. Kennedy? Yeah. Well, it's hard to say. She's going to make it as tough as she can for us, judging from her attitude toward you this morning. How does the commission feel? Well, they feel very badly that something like this has come up. They've requested us to act with discretion and to act swiftly. There's certain the entire matter can be settled without legal action. She passes sugar. Uh-huh. Aren't they going to cooperate? They aren't going to do anything until we show cause. They did mention that their action will take place in ten days, so that means we've got ten days to write such a statement. Tell me what you've learned about Mrs. Kennedy. Well, she was widowed five years ago. Her husband was a lawyer. He left her 40000 in insurance and 15000 in debts. Her family, the Lansings, had money at one time. Enough so that she gets one half of one-tenth of one percent of an oil company out on the coast. It pays her about seven fifty a month. She managed to clear her house out in Catalina Vista and drive a Cadillac. But she could use $50,000. Of course she could use $50,000. Everybody could. Johnny, when are you going to start on the insurance agent? Hillary Franks, I've already started. If I know my Mrs. Kennedy, she won't call a lawyer or anybody else right now. She'll talk to her agent, Mr. H. Franks, and he'll have to come to us. I don't have to go to him. Johnny. When you buy a radio and it goes bad, you call up the store. They didn't manufacture the set, but you complained to them just the same. Same thing with insurance. You don't call up the company, you call up the agent who sold it to you. Hillary Frank has to call me, Jim, just to look legitimate. 
I hope you're right, kiddo. After lunch, I went back to my hotel room and opened up the file Jim Carter had collected on Hillary Franks. Hillary Franks, age 56, college graduate, married, two children, wife deceased, income good. No record of any kind for any offense. Highly thought of by worldwide insurance officials. The 17 years with the company sort of got me. He started as an agent when he was 39. This is Hillary Franks, Mr. Dollar. Yes, sir. I understand you're in town on a little investigation for the home office. wonder if we could have dinner. As a matter of fact, I was going to call you, Mr. Franks. The policy I'm working on was written by you. Yes, I understand that. Mrs. Kennedy, the beneficiary, called me today. Seemed very upset. I thought perhaps we could discuss it over dinner. Anything wrong with right now at your office? Why, not a thing. You're Mr. Dollar. Yes. Maria, that's my secretary. She's already gone for the day. I'm sorry you had to wait so long. Mr. Hillary Franks looked straight life insurance from the top of his iron gray hair to the tips of his polished brown shoes. He had a quiet manner about him and a pair of large brown eyes that looked wide open and honest. Come in. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Thank you very much for coming over. I was surprised when Mrs. Kennedy called me about this matter today. Surprised to learn that you were in town. Were you? Um, she said you'd been over to her home this morning. That's right. <laughs> well, just what is this all about? We have reason to believe Mrs. Kennedy is a party to an attempted fraud, Mr. Franks. I gathered it was something like that. I've been writing policies for worldwide insurance for 17 years, Mr. Dollar. And this is the first time anything like this has ever happened on one of them. I believe you, Mr. Franks, and your record. But there's a first time for everything. Uh, yes, I... I'm here to find out all I can about the circumstances under which you sold the policy to Mrs. Kennedy's brother. Well, nothing unusual about it, Mr. Dollar. I think there was. Eh? James Lansing was a bachelor. He lived in a fairly nice apartment on the other side of town. No dependents. Now, what made James Lansing a prospect for life insurance, Mr. Franks? Well, it's more of a personal thing, really, I suppose. My wife and I were interested in buying a home a couple of years ago. It was one we liked in Catalina Vista. The real estate agent happened to be James Lansing. That's how we first became acquainted. Uh-huh. Mrs. Franks and I saw Lansing, oh, two, three times. Had dinner together, you know. And I managed to sell him the policy. I understood he was an engineer. He had been at one time in Los Angeles. And he was only engaged in the real estate business here for a very short time. Really a matter of a few months. I see. Did he do very well at it? I don't think so. I don't think he worked hard at it. You see, he had a fairly comfortable income from money left by his father. You uh, didn't buy the house from him? No. Too much? No. Mrs. Franks died rather suddenly about that time, and I had no need to buy a home. But out of the association, you interested Lansing in buying insurance from you? Yes. What kind of a man was he? Well, what do you mean? Well, uh, just your opinion, Mr. Franks. Well, just a client, Mr. Dollar. I, I looked at him and treated him just the same as any other client. But you saw him socially several times, had dinner with him. Do you do that with all your clients? I might. Uh, I remember he was trying to sell me something, too. Ah, sure. <laughs> How'd he look? What? Well, pale, thin, emaciated, what? 
Oh, he looked fine to me. Did he drink much? Well, uh, I don't recall. Think. It's important. Well, uh, I don't recall. Then I'll recall for you, Mr. Franks. Lansing did drink a lot on those occasions. As a matter of fact, he was soaked up most of the time. Oh, now, that's not true, Mr. Dunn. You know as well as I do, he was an alcoholic in Los Angeles, and he was an alcoholic here in Tucson. He died of malnutrition, a direct result of his alcoholic condition. Well, uh, I'm not a doctor. I had no way of ascertaining that. You don't have to be a doctor to smell booze, Mr. Franks. Did you ever meet his beneficiary? You mean his sister, uh, Mrs. Kennedy? No, no, I, I think I told you she telephoned me today. Never met her at all? Uh, no. Mr. Franks, I'm going to leave you for a while, and I want you to think about all we've discussed. When I come back, I might ask you the same questions again. And I'll expect some different answers. Anything you say, Mr. Dollar. Hillary Franks, 17 years insurance broker, was a bad liar. He was worse than that. He was a stupid, awkward, unprepared liar with no idea of what he was up against. He knew I was going to get him and get him good. And he didn't know what to do about it. I almost felt sorry for him. There'll be another intriguing episode of the Lansing Fraud tomorrow. Tomorrow, a bad liar turns into a pretty good gunman. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure and join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
to lose booty. Jump into it.